I want to kind of pick up last week where we were at because um, it's just kind of what the Lord put on my heart this morning as I was driving here. Last week we kind of ended with Paul doing something that really he didn't have to do. And I just want to say it like this. He didn't have to do it for righteousness' sake. These Jews that we're about to talk about from Asia, from the region of Galatia, that come and start this trouble with Paul. Paul's message was pretty simple to the Galatians. He said, who has bewitched you? Did you receive uh, the Spirit by works of the law? And so Paul's message was pretty simple. The law has its place, but righteousness only comes through faith. And so you can't obtain righteousness through law, but you can obtain it through faith. And so Paul's vow of the Nazarite that he did and the cutting of his hair and where we're about to pick up this morning really had nothing to do with him being in right standing with God. He did it for consciousness sake. And that's kind of the first thing I want to bring up this morning. Um, and me and Gary was talking about out in the water is um, Gary's got a Romans 14 heart. And that thing, that what I mean by that is basically the context of Romans 14 is eating meat. But he basically says that if it offends your brother for you to eat meat, even though your conscience is clean, his isn't. And so this whole act that Paul is doing is not for his own conscience. It's not to obtain any righteousness, but it's for the conscience of the people whom he's about to try and minister to. That's his whole goal. And so we pick up here in Acts, and I kind of want to open this. I don't, let's see how we're doing. Oh, yeah, so here we go. This is kind of the title of today's message, What's the Good News? I ask this question a lot. When I go to jobs, when I'm talking to people, I always pop in the job site trailers or whatever, and I say, what's the good news? Here's a response I get most of the time. Another day in paradise. I love that response. 90% of the time I get that response because here's how I respond. No, not yet, but I'm getting there. <laughs> no, this ain't quite paradise yet, but I'm on my way. And so sometimes it opens the door for me to share the good news. Sometimes that opens the door for me to share my testimony, which what is Paul, Paul's about to do for us today. Uh, other times, people look at you like you're crazy, but whatever, it don't matter. If they knew me, they would know how crazy I really am. So I kind of titled today's message, What's the Good News? And as I was reading this, man, I didn't have nothing. I didn't have nothing. I had no idea how to preach through this. And then I think it was Wednesday night or even Thursday morning, God kind of showed me these four little outlines. And I thought, that is so cheesy. Um, and then I began to think of what's going on in our culture and how relevant this is to what some of us may be going through. Because I don't really pay attention to the news unless I go to my father-in-law's house because that's the only thing on TV. But I'll watch it over there, you know, the Sundays that we get to go there. But, and it really it was because news became an idol in my life many years ago, and I recognized it, and I turned it off for a summer. I did it for one summer. About seven years ago or something, Chris, you probably remember that. We was going through Bible study together. And I never turned it back on. 
And to this day, listen, if a hurricane's coming, somebody's got to tell me. I just found out yesterday there was a tropical storm. Aaron told me. I had no idea because I don't watch the news. And I got my own reasons for that. But really, um, what's going on in our, in, in our media right now? What do you hear about quite a bit in the news? I'm looking for one word. Divisions. Huh? Division. Division, hurricanes. Politics. Politics. How about this? Fake news. We hear it a lot, don't we? We hear this term a lot. But as I seen this in the scripture, man, I thought, man, that is cheesy, but it's it's relevant. It's relevant to what we're going through today. And that's exactly what's going on. And so one of the points I want to bring up is as you're spreading news, first of all, what's your motivation? What are you trying to push? Listen, as you're receiving news, this is for some of you gossips, what's your motivation? When you're receiving information from someone, what's your motivation? Because we're about to see a, a motive here that had nothing to do with the kingdom. If we're not at I mean, we need to be at all times kingdom-minded. I'm the first to, to back away from that. I'm the first to fail at that. But we need to check what is our motivation when I'm giving news and when I'm receiving news. Now, you think about these Jews. I, I don't, I don't want to, I, I really want to get this point out. I don't want to push down on them. I'm not trying to point them out. Because do you think that they thought they were doing something contrary to what God wanted them to do. Does anybody in here think that? As they're persecuting Paul? No. They thought they were standing up for the kingdom. They just didn't know if they were to stop to listen for a minute, they were standing up for their kingdom. And really that's what I want us to understand, is they were trying to build for themselves a kingdom, and they were trying to put in order for themselves a king but it wasn't king jesus and so i want to come around and we're going to blow through some of this scripture we pick up right in verse 27 where we left off last week now when the seven days were almost ended the jews from asia seeing him that's paul in the temple stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him crying out Men of Israel, help. This is the man who teaches all men everywhere against the people. In other words, the, the Jewish people, the nation. The law and this place. Now we, we have the privilege of going and reading Romans 9, 10, and 11 to know that that's not true. We have the privilege of going to read Galatians, the book of Galatians, to know that that's not true. And we have uh, the privilege of, of reading his other epistles to know that he wasn't teaching against the temple. He was trying to define it. And he did a real good job in 1 Corinthians. And so this is what they say. He uh, teaches all men everywhere against the people, the law, and the place. And furthermore, he also brought the Greeks into this temple and has defiled this holy place. Assuming, for they had previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian with him in the city, whom they supposed that Paul 
brought into the temple. Y'all see that? They suppose. How many times have you ever supposed or assumed something that would? I get in trouble for assumption all the time. I'm going to tell you right now. We ain't going to go there, though. But I want you to know that fake news leads to breaking news. You see that in our news cycle? Fake news comes out. It turns into breaking news. It's all over the channel. Look at here. And all the city was disturbed. And the people ran together, seized Paul, and dragged him out of the temple. And immediately the doors were shut. And here comes the breaking news. Now as they were seeking to kill him, news came. Everybody say news came. News, news came. Breaking news to the commander of the garrison that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. By the way, that's the word that popped out to me that gave me the outline. News came. I was like, huh, look at that. Breaking news. I could just see headlines popping up uh, in Jerusalem. Came to the commander of the garrison that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. He immediately took soldiers and centurions, or centurions, whichever one you want to use, centurions, and ran down to them. And when they saw the commander and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. This is what's happening, breaking news going on. Then the commander came near and took him and commanded him to be bound with two chains. And he asked who he was. Who is this guy? And what, what has he done? And some among the multitude cried one thing, and some cried another. Now listen, these guys have, have this is what we see happening in our culture. These guys have jumped on this breaking news, and they don't even know what to tell the people in charge who this guy is. Half of them don't even know who he is. And so this is what we see. This fake news has now turned in this catastrophic breaking news, and the people are in an uproar. Half of them are there, and they don't even know why. They just know why that I'm here to, to, to exercise my right to protest or whatever it may be. So when he could not ascertain the truth because of the torment, he commanded him to be taken into the barracks. Commander couldn't find the truth. When he reached the stairs, he had to be carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the mob. Half of them had no idea why they were mobbing. They were just joining in with the crowd. Man, I really hope that that doesn't become us, that doesn't become our young people, that they just want to so fit in that they're standing up for something that they don't even know what they're standing up for. For the multitude of the people followed after him, crying out away from him. But, true news, let's see how Paul responded. Then Paul, then as Paul was about to be led into the barracks, he said to the commander, may I speak to you? Then the commander replied with much surprise, can you speak Greek? This is why he acted with surprise. He said, are you not the Egyptian 
who some time ago stirred up a rebellion and led 4,000 assassins out into the wilderness? What happened here? Even the man in charge had no idea why he was arresting this guy or what he was arresting him for or who he even was. Y'all see that happening in our culture today? This is what the news cycles do in our culture. Just, let me just say this. I started to pull this verse out, but I just want to say this out of Ecclesiastes. There's nothing new under the sun. Satan has no new tricks. He used a robe to get Joseph thrown into the pit, and then he used another robe to get him thrown into the pit. He has no new tricks. Same thing's going on. Culturally, we're the same. The heart of man hasn't changed. It's deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, according to Jeremiah. The thing that all of fear fear us the most is that God can look right down into the heart of man. Nothing new under the sun. So the commander asked this uh, question, are you not the Egyptian who some time ago stirred up this rebellion and led 4,000 assassins into the wilderness? But Paul said, this is how he responds, I'm a Jew from Tarsus. And Sicily? Cecilia? Cilicia. Thank you. I should have listened to that on the Bible app before I started preaching. Don't y'all know that's how I learn these words? And I can't even say it now. A citizen of no mean city. And I implore you, permit me to speak to the people. And so when he had given him permission, Paul stood on the stairs motioned with his hands to the people, and when there was great silence, he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, saying, Brethren and fathers, hear my defense. I'm going to come back to that word a little bit later. That's why i got to highlight it. But I do not want you to forget that word, defense. Hear my defense before you now. And when they heard that he spoke to them, in the Hebrew language, they all kept silent. They all they kept all the more silent. Then he said. So when Paul reveals the truth to this guy, guess what that true news leads into? Good news. You see, when the truth comes out, it leads to good news. What if we was to report the truth? in our daily news cycle. What if our American news cycle was reporting what's really going on in Jerusalem? What's really going on in Israel? I'm asking this question because it, it's going to bring me to my next point, which I'll go ahead and tell you that good news isn't good news to everyone. What if the news media was to report the truth of what's going on in this country? See, really, it sounds kind of awful, what's going on in this world. But to the believer, it's good news, because we know what? Our redemption is drawing near. We know that when we look and we see the truth of what's going on in this world, Jesus says, look up. The problem is, we haven't looked at the sky in a long time. 
We're too busy looking inside of ourselves and in our circles and around us and what's going on in our lives that we're forgetting that the true news is that he's returning and it's good news and everything around us that we're seeing in, in the world today is proof of what he said would happen. It's the truth. True news always leads to good news. It may not be good news for everybody, but that's what it does. All right, now put y'all seatbelt on for a minute. We're going to go through about 19, some odd, 18 verses here. Here's what Paul responds to him. He says, I am indeed a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia. Help me out, that's funny. <laughs> but brought up in this city at the foot of uh, Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of our fathers, uh, father's law, and was zealous towards God as you all are today. I was doing exactly what you're doing. How many of you know that before I stood up here, I was doing exactly what the world was doing? There was not very much difference in us at all. Paul says, I persecuted this way. That was a term used for the church. When you see it in Acts, that's what he's referring to. The church considered themselves the way. I persecuted this way to the death. Binding and delivering into prison both men and women. As also the high priest bears me witness and the council of the elders from whom I also received letters to the brethren and went to Damascus to bring in chains even those who were in Jerusalem to be punished. Now it happened as I journeyed and came near Damascus at about noon suddenly a great light from heaven shone around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. And those who, you, who were with me indeed saw the light and were afraid, but they did not hear the voice of him who spoke to me. So I said... What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Arise, go into Damascus, and there you will be told all things which are appointed for you. Everybody say, for you. Amen. Appointed for you to do. How many of you would like for the Lord to show you the things that are appointed for you to do? Every hand in here should go up. And since I could not see for the glory of that light, being led by the hands of those who were with me, I came into Damascus. This is Paul's story. He said, then a certain Ananias, a devout man, looked according to the law, having a good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there, came to me and stood and said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that same hour, I looked up. Then he said to me, this is a word in due season, the God of our fathers has chosen you that you should know his will and see the just one and hear the voice of his mouth. I want you to understand this verse ought to stick out to us. 
Because it says the Father's chosen him to know what his will is for him, to see with his eyes, and to hear his voice. You know, you can't minister to other people. You can't help anyone see life from God's perspective. You can't do any of these things unless you see him, know his will, and hear his voice. How can a preacher get up and preach without hearing his voice? How can you speak on behalf of God if you haven't heard from God? It's important for us to recognize that this was Paul's calling. God chose him to know his will, to see the just one, and to hear the voice of his mouth. He says, for you will be my witness, Jesus says to Paul, to all men of what you've seen and what you heard. So what was Paul's message? What could Paul tell the people that he was going to minister to? What he seen and what he heard. What if our message every day, the news that we was bringing to the people around us are the things that we've seen and the things that we hear from God? This was it. To all men of what you've seen and heard. You know how many times Paul goes through this story in this book? Just in the book of Acts? Each time he has to give an account, he gives this account in some flesh and in some form. I really want to ask you, what's your story? I understand that even today God is still writing your story. And years from now, you'll talk about the miracles that he's done in your life through each season. That is why I love that song so much, I'll Give Thanks. Because this season right here doesn't tell your story. This ain't the whole story. This is just a part of what God's doing in you and through you right now. This season doesn't tell your story. It's just a part of it. And so years from now, you'll get to look back at this story. And you'll either see how you allowed God to bring you through it or how you pushed him away and trudged through it yourself. And you'll either go through it with thanksgiving or regret. I don't think there'll be any other option. Because in this moment, if we just let go and let God, he'll pull us through. But if we push away, if we say my wickedness, my righteousness, whatever it is, if we push away, like we're going to see here at the end, and try to go through it ourselves, then you'll look back on regret. Man, I really want to encourage you to take this time to figure out what your story is from the day that he saved you or from the day that you were born. If you have the ability to look back and see the times that God's worked in your life when you rejected him, when you didn't want nothing to do with him, when you were a teenager. All the times. He's right now I should be doing prison ministry. I really should. I ain't joking. 
not as Seth is doing prison ministry, but from inside the walls. That's what I deserve. So when I tell you I'm doing a lot better than I deserve, believe me, I'm doing a lot better than I deserve. But it's part of my story. I wake up to new mercy every morning before I ever even knew there was new mercy every morning. This season doesn't define us, but this is Paul's story. And he says to Paul, Jesus says to him, you'll be for you, or Ananias says to Paul, you'll be his witness, Jesus' witness to all men. How many of you know you're a witness? I ain't going to keep preaching until everybody raised their hand. Because I'll stop and get me a chair if y'all want me to. But we're his witness to all men. And the only thing we have to witness about is what we see him doing and what we hear from him. And so, and now, you are waiting. Arise and be baptized. Man, that spoke to me this week. And wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. In other words, Ananias says, you can see now, get to work. It's time for you to get busy. Oh no, why are you waiting? See, that's a question mark for grammatical people. Why are you waiting? What are you waiting for? That question's been asked to me several times over the past month. What are you waiting for? Arise and be baptized. Wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. I want to ask you guys, what are you waiting for in this season? How many of you are, are good in this season right now? Raise your hand. Everybody's waiting on a season to change. What are you waiting for? Arise. Be baptized if that's what you need. Wash away your sins if you need to confess them. Call on the name of the Lord if you need to call on the name of the Lord. Don't let this season define you. Don't look back at this season and have regret. What are you waiting on? I love, um, how many of y'all see receive Pastor Eddie's text in the mornings? A few mornings ago, I hate to go off on this rabbit trail, but I got to. This just made me think of it. He sent us a text about Martha and Mary and Lazarus. Y'all remember that text? Now, every time I've ever considered them or heard someone teach on that, I've always thought about it as three different personalities, three different things, and one's kind of right and one's kind of wrong. It just depends on where you're at. But he said something that just blew me away. He said, work like Martha. How many of you know you need to work like Martha? You need to work like Martha. You need to worship like Mary. You got to find time to sit at the feet of Jesus, and then you get to witness like Lazarus. You know what Lazarus had to do to witness? Yeah. And then he just had to show up. <laughs> hey, guess what? I'm here, y'all. I can just sit at the table and eat because I was once dead. But now I'm alive. Every one of you that's received Christ today, you were once dead in your trespasses and sins. But now you've been made alive again in Christ Jesus. I was once dead, but now I'm alive. And so all I got to do is just show up to the party. 
and I'm a witness. And so he tells Paul, get to work. Verse 17, now it happened when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple that I was in a trance. I, I get in those a lot when I'm praying. Sometimes three or four hours in that trance. My wife calls it sleeping, but I call it <laughs> I was in a trance the other day when I was doing this. And I saw him saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem very quickly. For they not, will, will not receive your testimony. I was reading this this morning. I kind of saw this next verse for the first time. So listen. Paul's in a trance and Jesus says, look, I want you to leave Jerusalem quickly. Because they're not going to receive your testimony concerning me. So here's what Paul says. So I said, but Lord. Actually, the but ain't in there. Lord, they know that in every synagogue... I imprison those who believed on you. In other words, Paul is saying, but Lord, I, I got this. They know who I was, and now I'm this. This, this will be a witness. And so Jesus says, or Paul keeps going, and when the blood of your martyr Stephen was said, I was also standing by consenting to his death and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. This is what Paul's saying to Christ in this, in this vision. And so then Christ says, okay, boy, shut up and do what I said. Then he said to me, depart, for I will send you far from here to the Gentiles. So Paul begins to give this testimony. He reveals the truth for the news that the commander heard. And he begins this testimony, and this testimony is nothing more than the good news of how he met Christ. The exact thing that Ananias said he would do was to witness of what he seen or didn't see because of the light and then what he heard. How many of you think that's a simple enough task? What if one person, if you'd be willing to just testify, Witness to one person this week the things you've seen and the things you've heard. Just one person. I hope that God brings that person into our life. But, unfortunately, good news isn't to everyone good news. A lot of people really don't want to hear your story. A lot of people don't care. It's not convenient for many people to give their life to Christ. I had a guy at work ask me this week. Uh, he was talking about um, smoking marijuana. And he asked me this question. He said, do you miss it at all? First he said, how long has it been? So I thought back to my anniversary. I've been married 10 years. So roughly 11 years for me. 10 years, 8 months, 11, 11 and a half years, somewhere in that area, roughly 11 years, I've been on this walk with Christ. And he asked me this question, do you miss it? And I said, no, not the first time. And I said to him, I really think that's something Christ miraculously took from me. Because one day I desired it and one day I didn't. Now, I ain't telling you that I didn't try to keep on desiring it for, for several months in that moment, but I 
I just lost my desire to do it. And this is what the guy said to me. I'll be there one day. And I thought to myself, not unless you give it to Christ, you won't. No, not if you're trying to do it on your own. You ain't going to get there. But you understand that the good news is, the truth is, Christ can take it from you. But to everyone, that's not good news. Christ can take your pain from you today. He can take your desires from you today. He can place inside of you the desires he wants you to have today. But for everybody, that's not good news. They don't want their desires taken from them. They don't want their lives taken from them. And so look at how they respond or respond. Thanks for looking up. You corrected me. And they listened to him. Look, remember it said that they kept silent? I mean, when he started speaking Hebrew, half the crowd probably thought this guy was an Egyptian. And then here he comes speaking Hebrew. We know the commander thought he was an Egyptian. And he begins to give his testimony, the things that he's seen Christ do and that he's heard him say. And they listen to him until he tells them, Christ appointed me to the Gentiles. And when they listen to it says, and they listen to him until this word. Then they raised their voices and said, away with such a fellow from the earth, for he is not fit to live. You see, the good news isn't good news to everybody. Can you, I, I, I want to go back to the, where I started. I want you to think about the motivation that's here. Was the kingdom that Christ was bringing, was the kingdom of God the motivation in what these guys were doing? Was it? But is it the motivation in, in the news that we give and in the news that we receive? What is our motivation in it? They weren't interested in the whole world coming to know Christ. They were interested in building for themselves a kingdom and having for themselves a king in the form of their high priest. And so they go on. Then as they cried out and tore off their clothes and threw dust in the air and threw a big old fit like half of y'all going to do today, Here's what he said. The commander ordered him to be brought into the barracks and said that he should be examined under scourging so that he might know why they shouted against him. Look at this, what's going on. The commander still doesn't know. He still doesn't have a clue what's going on. So that's our news cycle. Let me see what J.J. did. Oh, he didn't do it for me. So... As we question our motivation in this, when we give or receive fake news, it turns into breaking news, and everybody jumps on the bandwagon. But when we reveal the truth, the truth leads to the good news. So how do we take what happened in this passage of Scripture and we apply it to what's going on in our life? How can I... Um, guard myself from fake news 
And what do I do to prevent myself from spreading fake news, from spreading gossip? So I'll give you three applications the Lord gave me. First one's be informed. See, you need to take time to gather all the information. Unless your motivation is to bring in your own, to build yourself up, and to push everyone else down, you need to be informed. And so how do we do that? One of my favorite verses. It says, so then, brethren, my beloved, so then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear. So you remember growing up, my dad and mom used to tell me this a lot. He said, you can't listen and what at the same time? Pastor Eddie don't hear nothing y'all saying. <laughs> you can't listen and talk at the same time. So you got to be quick to listen, swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath, slow to become angry. That's how you get information. Sometimes you just stand and watch. Y'all know I learned a lot of what I know in my trade by just watching being quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. That's how you get all the information that you need so that you can go on to make your decision. It says, for the wrath of God does not produce, or the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. It's good information. Be informed. That's how I prevent this vicious cycle. Second thing is be ready. 1 Peter 3, 15 and 16. This is what he says. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a, everybody say defense. 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 Listen, I'll never forget. I'll never forget when the Lord taught me this verse. If I'm going to today be a witness of what I've seen him do and what I've heard him say, I can't skip over this verse. This verse has been highlighted in my Bible for years. I, I've, I've always, um, you know, stopped to pay attention to it, but one day I was flipping through my Bible, and because those pages are kind of like a little bit more wore out in First Peter, I was kind of flipping through and I opened it, and there it was, highlighted in yellow. And so I just kind of was just sitting there, I just read through it. And I was reading this verse, and the Lord said to me, I'll never forget it, can you give a defense? And I never really studied it, done a word study or on it or anything, and I was like, I said it out loud, sitting at my desk, yeah, yeah, I can give a defense. And so he said, give me a defense. And for I don't know how long I couldn't speak. Not a word could come out. I don't know how long I sat there, 10, 15 minutes, but I, as I just, I, nothing would come to mind. I couldn't think of anything. I couldn't say another word. And so I just sat there, and I sat there kind of awkwardly, kind of like this sermon. And I, I just remember him saying, that's what I thought. And then he said to me, now I'm going to teach you how to give a defense. 
And that moment threw me into, I don't know, seven, eight months of studying what is this word coming up here. I'm going to go back to it. Apologia. I'm going to come back to that. Uh-oh, I broke it. But this is the next thing he showed me in that verse. He says, I'm going to teach you how to give a defense. And I want to show you who to defend, give a defense to. And so let's read the rest of the verse. It says, be ready to give a defense to everyone who... Most of the time in the, in the American church, it's the exact opposite. When people ask, we don't have anything to say. And those who are not asking, we got plenty to say. I'll never forget, it just jumped out the page at me. He said, to everyone who asks for a reason, for the hope that is in you. You see, we're at Walmart and all the time trying to share stuff with people who don't even want to talk to us. And people aren't asking because we're not living in a manner worthy of the calling we've been called to. That's the truth. That's what they're seeing. If at work they don't see anything different in you, then nobody's asking. If at the, at the mall they don't see anything different in you, then they're not asking. So, he says to everyone who asks you, uh, who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. And then he says this, to do it with meekness and fear. That's a bigger verse than y'all think it is. Because let me explain something to you. If I come in here and tell you that Jesus was born a bastard, child of Mary, that his um, birth was a product of fornication and adultery from a Roman soldier. What would you say? But there's historical document that says it. There's all kinds of historical documents that tell us things contrary to the gospel. What I want to know is would it offend you? Would you jump up? Would you rear up? Most of us would. Because we don't know the other side of the story. What if I told you that the virgin birth is, is only one of the stories of many virgin births? What would you say? But there's historical document that says that it's true. There's lots of historical documents, non-biblical historical documents that tell us things contrary to what Christ tells us. But if then when we're faced with those things, if we can't give a defense for the hope that's in us and do it with meekness and fear, then you're just biased. Because you don't know the other side of the story. You know they say that Jesus was banished because of this adulterous relationship to Egypt. Did he go to Egypt? Yeah. <laughs> It actually proves the facts true. We know he went to Egypt because an angel visited Joseph. But they, this historical document also says that he came back from Egypt with magical powers. Did Jesus have power? Yes. yes. You see, some of these things prove 
that what they saw was the same thing that the disciples saw, except the disciples were seeing it through the eyes of the Spirit, and they were seeing it through the eyes of the flesh. Carnally speaking, he just had magical powers. But spiritually speaking, he demonstrated the Spirit of God to the people. But see, if we don't know how to give a defense for the things that the world is pushing against us, then we're nothing but, along with the other 95% of the American church, a bunch of biased believers who in this group we look good. But when we're faced with giving a defense, we bow up, we get offended ourselves instead of defending what we know to be true because we only know one side of the story. And this is why Peter says, if you're going to give a defense to the people who ask you, you better be doing it with meekness and with fear. If you get offended by what the, the uh, population or the culture says about Jesus, then you just haven't heard the other side of the story. All the documents I read, which are not many, historical documents on the account of Jesus, carnally speaking, didn't do anything for me but prove that they were looking at it through one set of lenses and the disciples were looking at it through another. They gave more testimony about the life of Christ than many of us could today. And they said awful things about him, some of these historical documents. But many of the things they were just, when I read it, I, the, the way I saw it was they were carnally explaining what they saw Christ do. And then he says, having a good conscience. Remember earlier I talked about Paul was doing what he was doing for conscience sake? Not for his own conscience, for the conscience of the listeners, for those who are around him. He says, having a good conscience, then that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. So I want to show you what this word defense. When Paul stood up and he says, let me give a defense, he wasn't defending himself. He wasn't defending God. How many of you know that you don't need to defend God? You don't. As a matter of fact, he doesn't want you to defend him. He's your defender. He doesn't need you to defend him. I'll tell you a quick story. Do I got time? Yeah, I got, I got 25 minutes left. All right. <clears throat> I was, we were working seven-day weeks one summer down at this school, and I, we were having trouble with this guy. We knew this guy. He was our boss. He was jacked up. Anyway, uh, one Sunday, I showed up to work. I didn't want to be there. I had a bad attitude. And I cussed the guy out. I was probably two, two years maybe. I don't even think I was teaching yet. So maybe two years in the church. And I cussed the dude out because he was picking on me. He asked me to pray for him. So, and that was right when that song came out. I prayed that a pot falls off the windowsill and hits you on the head. So that's what I told him. And I got in my truck and I stormed out of there. I was mad at the dickens. And um, I didn't even make it out the parking lot of that school, and I'll never forget the Lord said to me, I don't want you in any of my churches with that attitude. And what he was showing me was, I put these people in charge of you. I'm the one that's got you working here on Sunday. 
I don't need you in my church with that attitude anyway. But it was when he spoke to me. The problem was I was biased. I couldn't give a defense for the hope that I had. I didn't know all the things about God's sovereignty that I know now. So when Paul's speaking this word, when he says that, oh, I brought all that up to tell you this. I kind of lost my train of thought. This is what he said to me. I'll never forget it. He said, son, don't you ever defend my name again. And I thought, where'd that thought come from? And then this scripture popped in my head, out of Psalms, I am your defender. I'm the one who defends you. And he told me, I'll never forget, he says, son, I don't need nothing from you. Don't you ever stand up and defend my name again. I'm big enough to defend my own name, and I'll defend yours too. And that's what he told me. And I cried from Village Green Parkway all the way to Lakewood Park that morning, sobbing, when the Lord spoke that into me. So I want you to understand that Paul's not trying to defend himself here. That's not what this word means. This is the Greek word apologia. The first explanation of the definition, this is right out of, uh, what's it out of? Huh? Greek. Strong's, right out of Strong's. This is Strong's definition. Thank you, I needed that. It says, this, uh, this does not mean the saying, I'm sorry or I apologize. That's not what Paul's saying. Second part of that explanation for that definition means the root means to give a cogent explanation. Give a cogent explanation for one's belief. To explain one's basis for operation, to explain the basis upon which and from which one makes his decisions. This is what Paul was doing as he was given a defense. He's basically saying, this is my story. This is why I'm doing what I do. Peter goes on to write, sanctify the Lord God in your heart and always be ready to give this apologia. This making a defense is not to escape punishment nor trial, but to explain forcefully and completely why one does what he does. So I ask you the question, can you give a defense? So the third one is be humble. I got this out of Micah. I want to give you a little backdrop to this verse. I think I talked about it last week. But what the Lord was showing me in this was one of the only times, maybe the second time I see it in Scripture, and one time it's, it's brought up as tithing, the Lord says, test me in this. See, will I not open up the windows of heaven? The other is right here. God says to the people, bring your complaint against me. What's your complaint? Didn't I bring you out of Egypt? When Balaam tried to get Balaam to prophesy against you, what did he say when he opened his mouth? Did he not bless you? He says, you, you, you got a couple thousand goats you can give me? Some rams? What do you got that I need? That's basically what he's saying in Micah chapter 6. And then he tells them this. 
He has shown you, old man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? How many of you know, would like to know today, what does the Lord require of me? It's simple. He says, do justly. <clears throat> Everywhere you go, do justly. When you go to Walmart today, do justly. If you go to lunch today, do justly. He says, love mercy. And walk humbly with your God. Humility don't look the same to everybody. Having confidence in yourself is arrogance. Having confidence in God is humility. Walking around woe is me is false humility. It's not true humility. It's knowing that the situation I'm in right now, it doesn't matter what I've done to get here or where I'm going from here, God's got this and I can walk in it. That's walking humbly with your God. Knowing I've got nothing to bring to the table but to walk humbly with my God. And so the good news is we have a father who never wants to push away. He wants to continuously draw us in. Is that not good news? <clears throat> so I really thought that today I was going to preach out of Samuel. Monday, Pastor Andy, we was in the water, like, what are you going to preach on? I'm like, I think Samuel. And all week I'm trying to figure out how to preach this sermon and acts, and, man, I didn't see anything. And I'd been reading Samuel in the mornings, and God was showing me all this stuff about, man, they, it talks about how they chose for themselves a king. And... And God, you know, Samuel was telling them, man, that what they were doing was wicked. Uh, it, it, all these things were jumping off the page at me. And so today I want to give you an invitation. I want to invite you to choose King Jesus today. Because I want you to see, after all this stuff Samuel says, man, he gives these prophetic signs. He tells them, is the wheat harvest not coming? And then he tells them God's going to send lightning and thunder and rain down on, on the wheat harvest. And, and all these words that he gives them come to pass immediately. And it, it goes on to say that they fear the Lord. And so they were afraid because these words, Samuel tell them, you've done a wicked thing in choosing for yourself a king. In choosing for yourself a kingdom because the Ammonites were coming. And so this is what he tells them after the hail storm on the wheat harvest. He says, do not fear. You have done all this wickedness. How many of you know you've done some wickedness? Yeah, it's okay to raise your hand. Those of you who didn't raise your hand, it was pretty wicked not raising your hand. <laughs> he says, even though, even though you've done this wickedness, Yet do not turn aside from following the Lord. You know what we tend to often do? It's the time when we need to press in the most we push away. The good news is we have a father that doesn't push away. He's never backing off. He's always saying, come to the table. You ain't done nothing I ain't never seen before. Come on to the table. 
I'll invite you today to come to the table. Even though you've done all this wickedness, don't turn aside from following the Lord, but serve him with all your heart. In other words, Paul says it in this manner, press on, forgetting what's behind me and moving forward. He says, do not turn aside. Because when you turn aside, you go after empty things which cannot profit or deliver, for they're nothing. For the Lord will not forsake his people. For what reason? Because you're so great? No. For his great name's sake. He doesn't forsake you in what you're going through today for you. He does it for him. Because you bear his name. Because it has pleased the Lord to make you his people. I, I want you to understand. Whatever it is in your life, it pleased him to make you his people. He said, even though you've done all these wicked things, what about your righteousness? Even though you've done all these right things, don't turn aside from following the Lord. Don't push away from the table. Pull up to it. Because you ain't done nothing he ain't seen yet. Because it has pleased the Lord to make you his people. Moreover, as for me, far be it for me that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. But I will teach you the good and right way. That's the Samuel. So if you need prayer today, I want to tell you, ask. Far be it from the leaders, from the people, from your husband, from your wife. <clears throat> what a household it might be if you can't go to your wife and ask for prayer. What a household it would be if you can't turn to your husband and ask for prayer. What a church would it be if you couldn't go to the leadership of your church and ask for prayer. Samuel says, far be it for me that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. But I will teach you the good and right way. One of our favorite verses is on the wall of our daughter's room. It says, only fear the Lord. Only fear him. Even though you've done all this wickedness and all these things and choosing for yourself your own king, just like the Jews... Even though nothing under the sun has changed, even though you've done all these things, keep pushing in. Keep following the Lord. Keep on keeping on. Don't push away. Pull up. Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart. For consider what great things he's done for you. How many of you know that you're not exactly where you deserve to be today? I ain't where I deserve to be today. So it's easy for me to consider what great things he's done for me. Verse 25, he says, But if you still do wickedly, shall be swept away, both you and your king. I was really going to omit that verse right up until yesterday as I was putting it together because that's kind of the end of that passage and that's not a cool thing to say, you know, in church. But then this is what stuck out to me. He 
He says, but if you still continue, uh, if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. That's why I chose this part, choose King Jesus. Because I want to ask you, who's your king today? What's your king today? What today are you surrendering yourself to? Because in this moment, and in a moment tomorrow, and in a moment the next day, you know that we have to choose King Jesus continually? You know that we have to walk in the Spirit continually, continually be filled with the Spirit? Every day it's a choice whether or not I'm going to choose King Jesus or I'm going to choose another king. Maybe iPad. My kids love that one. Or iPhone. Or Android. Or whatever it may be, it could be something way more painful, way more detrimental, way more hurtful. I'm telling you, you can choose King Jesus today, and you and your king don't have to be swept away. Let's pray. Father, in this moment, I just, um, Father, I know just in my own life, there's things that have taken precedence. Yeah, you're the king here this morning, Father. But I need you to be king tomorrow morning. And I need help, Lord, choosing to make you king tomorrow morning. Doesn't really mean, Lord, that you're not on your throne. Just means I haven't placed you on the throne of my heart. And so, Father, many of us in here need to today need to choose King Jesus. We need to, Father, check what our motivations are in the news that we're giving and the news that we're receiving. And Father, we need to speak the truth no matter how much it hurts. Because the truth always leads to good news. And the good news is you tell us even though our hearts are desperately wicked and deceitful above all things, we can continue to press in and follow. And so, Father, that's my prayer for us today, for my family, for me. Father, I know I stand here vile and wicked. But I want to follow. I don't want a king who's going to let me down. I don't want a king who's going to take of my sons and daughters and eat of my vineyard. I want a king who's going to protect all those things. And that's you. And so, Father, today we choose you, King Jesus, to come in and take precedence, to, to 
to have your right place on the throne of our hearts, Lord. And we ask you to have your way. We ask you to move what needs to be moved, Lord. We ask you to change, Father, what needs to be changed. We're not coming to you because we have anything to offer. As a matter of fact, Lord, we're, we're naked. We're hungry. Some of us haven't eaten in days, months, and years. We haven't sat at the table of the Lord in a long time. And so, Father, we come to your table today, and we ask you to fill us up. And we ask you to make us look so plump, so filled, so satisfied that when we go out into the world tomorrow, man, they wonder what happened to you. And we can simply say, Father, I've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And so, Father, that's my prayer. Fill us. Fill us with your word. Take all that was said here today, Father, and use it for your glory and transform the hearts of your people, Lord. I pray in Jesus' name.